And we're going to turn to God's Word. If you have a Bible in front of you, uh, please turn in Mark's Gospel where we will be journeying over the next number of weeks. We're sort of dealing with it in a slightly non-chronological fashion because we're starting with the, with the Easter events and then we're working our, our way back. But today we're going to turn to Mark chapter 15. Page number is probably the same as mine. That's page 1023, page 1023. And let's hear God's word. At chapter 15 and verse 42. It was preparation day. That is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen and placed it in a tomb cut out of rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early, on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. And we pray that the Lord would add his blessing to his truth. Amen. And as you've got that passage open in, in front of you, I'm going to ask you today whether there has ever been one particular day or moment that has radically changed your life. Personally, I, I can think of a number, as I'm sure you can. I can think of the day I got married. I can think of the day, I had to be very politically correct here, I can think of a day when a child was born. Now, we don't want to say that there's any difference between the first child and the second or the third child, uh, but if you have had children, you know that your life is so radically altered on that first one that either you don't want to go back there again or that uh, your life is forever changed. So 
there, there's something in that. The death of a loved one, the death of my dad, the death, uh, I'm sure you can identify with something like that as well. Or, for me, I can think of the, the, the night that I accepted the call to come and be the, the minister of, of this congregation. So, all those moments, you have had days, moments, situations that have radically changed your life. And yet, at the same time, no matter what you've heard, no matter what you have been informed about, your life has not been completely transformed in the sense that you're still the same person, you, you look the same, you act the same, you probably, in the, in the most part, actually think the same. But what I would suggest is when it comes to Jesus and our interaction with Jesus, and that when we, we suddenly realize the, the import of what the resurrection really is and what it means for us, that that must change our lives so that we are different from where we were before because there is something, obviously, about the significance of, of the, the resurrection of Jesus that literally it turns a black and white experience of life uh, into multicolored. It, it takes people who were at one time spiritually dead and brings life. So we can say that Jesus truly transforms. Or if you haven't encountered that yet and that understanding of us, because you haven't really understood, accepted what Jesus Christ has really done for you in your life. So today I'm going to think of just a couple of people that are mentioned in, in the Bible uh, whose lives were so impacted by the death of Jesus that, that it really, really changed them. The first one actually happens just before the, the section that, that we read, and it was that the Roman centurion who was overseeing the, the crucifixion of Jesus. So he would have been standing there making sure that it happened as it should have happened and that nothing was going to go wrong. But if you look at Mark's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 37, and looking at what happened at the moment that Jesus died, verse 37, with a loud cry... Jesus breathed his last. And verse 39, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Try and imagine the events of that first Good Friday. Even in spite of the spooky eeriness of what was happening, because if you remember the accounts of that, it said that between noon and three in the afternoon, there was a darkness that covered the whole land. So the centurion would have been there standing in the midst of that darkness. So that was strange and unusual in and of itself, watching this man dying on a cross with the two other either side of him. But even the manner in which Jesus died was very unusual, for someone who was crucified because the way in which someone would, be, would die as they were being crucified would be a long drawn out experience. As they were suspended on the cross, people naturally pulled their weight as it were, laid their weight on the, on the nails that were through their wrists. 
And that was because to put your weight on the nail that was through your ankle was even more painful. And so you would have simply allowed your weight to hang from your wrists as you were on the cross. The downside and the negative part of that is that that meant that your body sagged. And as your body sagged with your arms suspended above you, your lungs would have filled with water, which meant that you were basically suffocating. And then to try and catch your breath and to release the fluid that was in your lungs meant that you then had to put your weight upon your ankles and then you raised yourself up. And as you raised yourself up, you got rid of some of that fluid and you were able to gasp and you were able to get a breath. And so that process was repeated because you could only do that for so long and then you fell down with your weight being suspended on your arms. And that process was repeated and repeated and repeated until you simply died or drowned out of exhaustion. But what we read in the account of Jesus' death was very different because even verse 37, as you read it, it says, With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, which denotes a sense actually of strength not weakness, not exhaustion, but he died at a point of relative strength and then he unexpectedly died in that moment. And that had such an effect upon the centurion that his reaction is described in verse 39, that he says, this was no ordinary man. Surely this man was the son of God. And not only did the death of Jesus have an effect upon the centurion, but the other one that we're, we've been reading about here is Joseph of Arimathea, which is the section that we were reading from verse 42 of chapter 15 on. And what we learn about Joseph is that Joseph was a godly man. We, we read that he was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin, so that he was part of the, the, uh, the important people, as it were. But what we also understand about Joseph from reading in John's gospel is that he was a secret follower of Jesus. And the reason that he was a secret follower of Jesus is that he was afraid of his friends who were the, the, the Jewish leaders and he didn't want to tell his mates that he was actually a follower of Jesus. But the death of Jesus changed all that because he came out of the closet, as it were, as a secret follower of Jesus, and he was prepared to tell other people that I am now a follower of Jesus. And he went boldly, as it's described here in this passage, to ask Pilate for Jesus' body. Pilate, as you again read in here in verse 44, Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead because he expected this to be drawn out for quite some time, which was also why you will remember in other accounts that the legs of the two other thieves on either side of Jesus, their legs were broken. And the reason their legs were broken was to hasten their death. They could no longer raise themselves up on the cross and that their lungs simply filled with fluid and then basically they, they drowned and that was how they died on the cross. But even at this early point, Pilate was surprised to hear that Jesus was dead, which he was, but Joseph was aware that he had to act 
quickly because what was going to happen is that the Roman soldiers would take all three bodies from the cross because the Jewish authorities wanted the bodies disposed of quickly before sundown because it was about to be the Sabbath and what they didn't want on the Sabbath was to have dead bodies on crosses so they wanted rid of them and so if Joseph wanted to do something decent for Jesus he had to go quickly he went to Pilate he said can I have his body and he was granted Jesus body and so Jesus or Joseph of Arimathea along with Nicodemus took Jesus body they washed it quickly they covered it in some spices they put it into it into Joseph's own tomb so that at least they could go to bed that night feeling the least that they had done for Jesus was that they had given him a decent burial but you can imagine how Joseph of Arimathea and all the other people felt because they had hoped that Jesus would do so much more in their minds and yet now he was dead Joseph, the disciples, and Mary and all the other women endured the greatest despair on what we might refer as between Friday and and Easter Saturday. Their dreams were shattered. They were filled with desolation and gloom. Mary is described uh, here as as a a sword piercing her her own soul. Uh, Peter would have been devastated because, after all, he had denied Jesus three times, and the guilt of that would have been uppermost in, in his mind. John was the, the disciple out of all the disciples who was closest and, and the closest friend to Jesus, and he would have been devastated. Mary Magdalene was the one out of whom Jesus had cast out seven demons, and from the moment that Jesus had done that, she was the one who had followed him completely and solidly and was always supporting him in his ministry, and she would have been devastated So we can call these people Saturday children in the sense that they are in the midst of gloom and depression and sadness. And that's what they would have been experiencing. And I think that's a good descriptor also for our world today. Our world is full of gloom and despair and sadness and misery. You know, no matter matter which expert that you might turn to. You might turn to demographers. They're the people who chart uh, population growth and they'll talk about the the growth of the the numbers in, in the world that will not be able to feed the world. You can turn to ecologists and they'll be talking about the climate. They'll be talking about the pollution that's going on. They'll be talking about UV rays and what they're going to do with cancer rates and and say we're going to be drowned because the ice cap is, is melting. You can turn to political scientists who'll be talking about what's happening in schools and they'll be talking about gun crime and that things get worse and worse and worse. There's no future for anybody. You can talk to criminologists and criminologists will talk about the crime levels that are rising. So it's a pretty bleak, horrible place. And there's not much to be cheerful about in our world if you listen to all these professionals. And so we can describe the world in which we live pretty much as Saturday people as well. People with little hope. And it's not only these big world affecting issues, as it were, your own situation. It's a lot smaller, Uh, and yet you will experience aspects of sadness and despair and depression, and maybe even at times lack a sense of purpose, and you can understand what it is like to be a Saturday child, because this sense of sadness, depression hits you. 
which is why we want to think about the effect of the resurrection on the people that we read about in this account. And to Mark chapter 16, it's describing the women, the women who were making their way first thing on the Sunday morning. And the last thing that was in their mind was that Jesus was alive. They were totally depressed and they were sad, but what they wanted to do was to acknowledge that Jesus was a good man and they wanted to honour him. They had watched Jesus being buried a couple of days earlier. They knew where the tomb was. They knew it hadn't been done as properly and as fully as it ought to have been. So they went and they bought more spices. They wanted to do it properly. They wanted to wrap his body up properly. And they were so fixated on doing that and what their heart was directing them to do that they weren't even thinking clearly. Because 16 and verse 3, as you ask, en route to that, it's only then that they begin to ask sensible questions. And they say, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? So they were certainly not thinking in any way that Jesus' body wouldn't be there and that they weren't going to encounter a dead body. And yet when they got to the tomb and they saw it was open and they step inside and they meet the angel, verse 6, who says to them, don't be alarmed, because they obviously were. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. And again, in the Greek, that is just one word, and that one word to describe he has risen describes the greatest change that has ever happened in the course of the world. And their reaction in verse 8, where it describes, first of all, trembling, which is this like uncontrolled emotion, so that they're standing there and they don't know which way's up and they're literally uh, trembling and wondering what's happening. Bewildered is describing just that ecstasy of mind that their minds are, are swirling and they're going everywhere. And you can imagine then it describes also in verse 8 and says that they fled the tomb. They run away. And Matthew describes that as like a joyous flight because earlier they were Saturday children, but now they were changed because they were Sunday children, because they realized Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And it was Sunday children who would be able to transform the world for Jesus, being transformed because they realized this is real, this is true, and this makes a difference. And because this makes a difference, it will change my life. Are you a rule keeper? I'm going to ask that question. Are you the one who's a real stickler for rules? I'm not going to name any names at this point, uh, but it's amazing within a family that everyone is different. Going back to talking about children again at this point, and it's good that I've got all three of our... Sorry, I've only got two of our kids here. Megan's not here. Um, so I can talk about, no, I'll not talk about her. I'll keep this nameless. Um, one of our children uh, is a rigid rule keeper. I'm not going to say which one. To the extent that the, the prospect of trying to smuggle in a packet of sweets into the cinema is, you just can't do it. Because there's a sign that says, only food that is consumed in this premises can be eaten here. Now, the difficulty with someone 
who is a rule keeper. And it's not the case in this individual, this nameless individual. But the difficulty with being someone who is so rigid about keeping rules is that they actually might think after a while that they have what it takes to have a shot at their own salvation because they think they're good at keeping rules, they're good at looking after themselves, and if they're good at looking after themselves, surely God can understand that they can look after themselves, and so they think, I deserve to get into heaven. And just like Pinocchio in many ways, if you can prove yourself to be selfless, brave, brave and true, you're a good guy. But what the resurrection is about and what the death of Jesus Christ is about is the understanding that that is not true. And whilst the modern sentiment in the world is simply believe in yourself, do the good thing, you can have a shot at this, the resurrection, the death of Jesus is the proof actually that that doesn't work because you are a messed up individual and you are so messed up in and of yourself, you can never put yourself right because you, as the Bible describes it, you are a sinner, someone who is so messed up that you will never deserve heaven. You can't get into heaven by yourself and that is why Jesus died on the cross because Jesus alone is the perfect one. He lived the perfect life. He paid the sacrifice and it had to be someone who was perfect and that's why it was God's son in Jesus who died for you. And he offers you that forgiveness. And Jesus offers that hope to people like yourself, myself, who realize that we don't measure up. And so he transforms us from Saturday people without hope to Sunday people who have hope. And there's going to be many people in this building today who are just like myself. And you became a Christian perhaps a, a long time ago. In your teens, certainly it was for me. And I did that realizing that I had fallen short of God's standards. And I realized that I needed God's forgiveness in Christ to give me hope. And furthermore, I know that while I still mess up, and I struggle with sin, and that I make mistakes, and that I create failure all around me, I still believe that I am transformed by Jesus, and that I can follow Jesus, and that I will follow Jesus, even though it may inconvenience me, even though I may suffer disadvantage because of it, but I will be prepared to do that. You will be prepared to do that because you believe that the resurrection of Jesus Christ makes such a difference that you are a transformed person. And my prayer for you today is that you will know that in your heart. And my prayer is also that if you don't know the reality of that today, that you will sense this is what Jesus has done and know the reality of Jesus in your life because you need this hope and that this despair that you're living in or, or under and you're experiencing and, and this sense that you can't fix yourself, Jesus is the one who has died that you might have life and life in all its fullness and Jesus offers that forgiveness to you. And that's why we look to the cross and what Jesus has done. 
and we celebrate the, the cross of Jesus and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus because that is God's yes to what he did in Jesus for you. Take Jesus as your saviour and your friend today. Let's pray. Lord, give us hope, give us purpose, show us Jesus. Lord, give us insight, by your Holy Spirit, touch our hearts afresh. And Lord, may we celebrate with your people here today and continue to do so because Jesus is alive. Amen.